Let's stand to our feet and give the King of Kings and Lord of Lords praise and glory for who He is. He's a wonderful God. He woke you up this morning with breath in your lungs. Oh, my soul, worship is 
draws near and my time has come oh still my soul will sing your praise Paradise 
circumstance or whatever our surroundings are, no matter what it is, Father, we praise your holy name for your word. You're worthy, Father. No matter how bad it looks and all the trouble that's come on us, Father, you are the one that's the light at the end of the tunnel, Father. You're the one that has the door that's open that maybe we don't see. Father, open our eyes. Satan likes to distract us so much we don't even see the answer to the questions that we have. You're right there with us in the midst, with your arms open wide, saying, just come to me. I will give you rest. Come to me. I am the answer. Come to me. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. Promise keep fighting 
you'll ever stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You'll never stop. You'll never stop working. You'll never stop. You'll never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop.
are coming home. But you know we have to pray them home. How many of you know we need to pray them home? And so I want us to pray first this morning for those kids that have gone to camp, and the counselors and the workers that are there, that God will just move in a mighty way and touch those that, that tween group. And then can we pray for those whose kids, their ministry kids, they've been hurt. And the spouses. Spirit of God that healed our marriage, restored it, 
the north and the south and the east and the west. Holy Spirit, go after the prodigals. Those who once knew, once tasted, once, once experienced your presence and, and relationship. Go after them, Lord. Bring them home. When they come home, let it be like the father of the prodigal son in Scripture who was watching and looking. And when he saw his son from afar, he ran to him, put his hands around him, his arms around him, clothed him, and welcomed him back. God, I pray just forgive the church. For too many times we wound our own. Instead of bringing healing, we shoot our wounded. Forgive us, Lord. Give us the heart of Jesus. Give us the heart of the Father. Hallelujah. somebody it's good to be seen <laughs> I mean what, what's the alternative right <laughs> praise the Lord amen hallelujah good deal I'm going to get into the message this morning but I want to just preface the message and just say if you stay with us at the end of service we have a special announcement that we want to make known to you uh, before you leave okay so hang on and uh, thank you for staying with us but I I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here at Life Church. But I want to really get into this message this morning um, because it, it's some it's a part of a mini series that we started last week on broken connection, and um, we started this mini series and it was based on the idea of Isaiah fifty nine verse two. It says, "But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear." The previous verse said that God's hand's not too short to save. He can do anything. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. And so God created Adam and Eve to have fellowship with them, but their sin separated them from God and the plan that God had for them. 
And then Jesus came to restore that relationship, okay, for mankind to have that relationship restored. But sin still separates without a relationship with Jesus. How many of you remember what it was like without Jesus in your life? Some of you. Some of you. Yeah. I hope you remember. I hope there's a difference since Christ came into your life, right? But without Christ and without his sacrifice on the cross being applied to our lives, it's impossible to be reconciled with God. And so our sins continue to separate. And the scripture clearly points out what I stated last week, that the current state of our culture, our nation, is due to our turning away from God. Their sin separate them from God. Our sins as a nation, our sins as a nation have separated. And that word separated there in Isaiah means literally to have built a wall. Uh, just this morning, I, I briefly read an article in Texas. And um, well, I th Texas is, is, is a great place, I believe. And uh, I wish that some of their laws we had over here. But I mean, uh, but... A guy was complaining that they're, they, about a, neighbor, a neighborly problem. I, I know none of you have problems with your neighbors. And, uh, but this guy had built a privacy fence on the other guy's property. So the guy told him he was on his property, and he had to go through the cost of hiring a surveyor, found out, yes, the man had built the privacy fence two feet over on his property, made him tear it down, rebuild it. That didn't make the guy happy. But you would think if you're going to build a fence, make sure where the property line is, right? <laughs> and so, um, uh, so there were some issues that went on. So this, the guy on the other side decides, well, I'm going to put up my privacy fence. That way we'll both have a fence. I'm not looking at the back of his fence or whatever. And, and so as soon as he put his fence up, the other guy builds his fence two foot higher and puts a surveillance camera on top looking into the backyard of the other family. And it is not against the law in Texas to do that as long as you don't record it. And so the guy was like, the police said there's no law against it. We can't do anything about it. So they were trying to come up with these unique ways of... Um, uh, of dealing with the camera, and I told some of the guys earlier, everything from putting a bird feeder in front of the camera to put a mirror in front of it, put a pinwheel there so it would spin around, you know. And I thought, how silly. What, to what lengths will people go to separate themselves from an issue or a problem or whatever? But you know what? Sin separates us from God. And look at the things that we do as human beings in the human race, to, to maintain that separation from God. And yet Jesus came to tear down the separation, to restore and put us back together again. So last week we began looking at certain issues or sins in our nation in, in, in the view of what God and, and his word says and what is a biblical response. That's my point. My, the biblical response, okay? And last week we looked at the current sexual revolution. I remember in the 60s when all the headlines and magazines, newspapers and everything were about the sexual revolution, free love and all that kind of stuff. Well, now we have a different kind of one. We talked about that last week. This week is, is one that's not very welcome in a lot of places, but it deals 
with the topic of racism. And next to sex and gender, racism is probably the most discussed topic in our culture today. Storms of rhetoric and conflict swirl all around it in politics, in arts, uh, business, in media, and especially social media today. Um, let me make a statement here, like a preface, insert a statement here, and that is that it's natural and it's right or okay for Christians to speak of, in these conversations from their personal experience, okay? But there's a, a but there, right? A, a clause. And that is, since we say that we believe this Bible and its word, this word has the right to interpret our experience and critique it and our culture, for this has to be the final word. Do you, want, do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, we've all had experiences in, 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 in all these areas. We're talking about racism today. And it's not wrong to talk about experiences that we may have had, but the experience can't be the authority of how we respond, it has to be this word. And we have to be open to that and to accepting it as such. And so it's important to state from the outset of this message that when you and I read the scriptures, we do so in a certain way through the lens of our own culture which partially distorts our view of, of, of this word. If I went around this room and said, how many of you had been abused as a child? Probably be shocked how many hands went up. That has a tendency to, to distort, if we allow it, our views of how we respond to Injustice. Okay? And I could go down the line. That's just one example. In fact, several years ago, I started studying first century Judaism in light of the word and found out a lot of the things that I was taught in Bible college were incorrect. Simply because what I was taught in Bible college was taught to me from a Western mindset. Jesus was a Jew, and this is an Eastern culture. And so a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, in the Greek it says this. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't speak Greek. And Jews didn't speak Greek. And the culture wasn't Greek. Now, now, later, the letters that Paul may have written and everything, yes, he went into those nations. And but what I'm saying is, first century Judaism, and a lot changed, it revolutionized the way I saw Jesus in the gospel. 
Somebody asked me one day, they said, you, you just seem different. What is it? And I said, I have like come alive in the last nine months of reading the Gospels. And they said, why? I said, because I'm reading it from a different perspective. I've taken off my Western mindset and I've put on and learned what first century Judaism taught and what the Pharisees and them taught and what Jesus meant when he said these things and what the disciples understood it to mean. I said, it's changed my whole perspective on who Jesus is. It's, it's so exciting. And that person said, well, why don't you teach us? And I said, I'm still learning myself. And it's taken nine months and I'm not even completely done. I'm just saying, when we read this, we tend to look through the lens of our own culture, lenses of our own experiences, lenses of things that we've seen, things that have been done, all of that. So when the Bible talks about race and racism, we need to do so with humility and openness to correction. Be honest, I, I started to invite an acquaintance of mine who is African-American, black, very intelligent, minister. I love the brother. and Because I felt so inadequate to stand up here and talk about this because people would say, well, you're white. What do you know about it? But it has no, it, it, it does and it doesn't have anything to do from where I've come or what I've experienced. It's what does this word say? Because this is the same. Yellow, red, black, or white, doesn't matter. This word still applies. And so that's my intent this morning is to try and come from that perspective, okay? Took too long on that. I'm going to have to go a little faster. The Bible says in the beginning that God created. He fashioned the world through the creative word and through the spirit of God. Genesis 1 verses 1 through 3. And we know that in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. I think that's interesting. Just kind of me. The creation of the world was Genesis 1, 1 through 3. And over in John 1 through 3, we learn that God was a triune being. In other words, three in one. And, and, and I've asked people smarter than me, explain the Trinity. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things that you take by faith and, and halfway can understand. I can't understand the ways of God in, in a lot of things. So I, I, it doesn't bother me that I can't figure all this one out, okay? But the God of the Bible is one and yet exist in three equal, eternal, and distinct persons. Three in one. The last song we just sang, he's three in one. Father, Spirit, and Son. And before it was Father, Spirit, Son, it was Father, Spirit, and Word. Because John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. The God of the Bible is perfect unity in diversity and diversity in unity. Three in one, yet three separate and distinct persons. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, look what it says. 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is to every believer. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. And when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the Apostle Paul urges the Ephesians believers to live in unity, he says, despite their, their diverse gifts and callings. In other words, he's, he's saying that the unity that God, Paul's calling them to live in is not some abstract idea or a concept that somebody came up with. He's, he's motivated by the fact the unity in diversity of the Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He says, one Spirit, one Lord, one God, and Father of all. He's saying the unity is modeled for us in the Trinity of God. And so he's saying, recognize that unity in diversity. Most people think unity is conformity. It's not. It's, it's recognizing the diversity and gifts that differ of all, and when it comes together, it makes a whole. When I was a kid, there used to be a TV program on a game show called Concentration. Anybody ever remember that? Four of you, yeah. <laughs> it goes way back. And, and they would have on the, the thing, and they would say, uh, they would pick a square, you know, and they would flip it over, and they'd pick another square, flip it over, and and it didn't match or whatever. So then they, you know, they would pick another one and another one. Eventually, it started coming together, and the people had a chance to try and figure out what the pictures and symbols were actually saying. And a lot of times, that's the way it is in the church. We see each other different. And, and I've heard people say this before. I just don't get them. That's good, in a way. I'm, it's not that I'm supposed to get them. I'm supposed to accept them. Because they complement. They, they make the picture whole. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. So Christians can and must know unity across diverse human barriers of race and culture. It's been said, and it is true, especially in America, that on Sunday mornings is the most segregated time in, in human history, uh, in, in the week. Because you have white churches, black churches, Asian churches, churches of what, what you know, different ethnicities or whatever. And that's not the way it should be. But you know what it is? They'll say, but I like this church because I like their music. Or I like this church because I like their style of preaching. Or I like this church because of this. Again, it goes back to our cultural likes, dislikes, whatever. I'll never forget the first time I went to a black church. 
I was in high school, and, and, and our star football player on our little school of 192 students from 9th to 12th grade, our star football running back, his mama died. And so we went to a black church for a black funeral. I'd never been to one. Didn't know there was such a thing. Man, did I love the music. I said, in, 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 you go to a white funeral, and it's all sour and sad. And man, I'm telling you, when I went to this church, they, they was rocking the house down. I said, man, the dead are going to come alive in this place. You know, I was just a young teenager. I was like, wow. And I still to this day remember two of the songs that were sung. And one of them is, it's a slow song, but it was talked about being shut in with God. Shut in with God in a secret place. Filled with the Spirit, beholding His face. And that lady sang that. She played this little genie organ. But it sounded like heaven. And I'm like, wow. Wow, that's so awesome. I said, I want to do that again. I told my mama, I said, we need to go to some black churches. She said, we're military. We go to military churches. But you know what? I grew up in a house that did not know what racism was. Because in the military, you had people from every walk of life. And my dad and mom always had them in our house. So we had people from every background. I did not really know what racism was until I moved from California to Alabama the summer of my junior year in high school. And the first day of school a race riot broke out with 3,900 kids. I'm telling you, I was ignorant. I was ignorant. I learned real quick. The result of sin is separation. When the human beings turned from loving and serving God, it ended in separation. Separation in relationship with God, separation from their home in the garden, separation between Adam and Eve. You say, how? He blamed her. She blamed the serpent. That's the way that came from. Remember? Why did you do this? Adam goes, the wife you gave me, the woman you gave me, she did this. And he turns to the woman and says, well, the serpent did this. So that's how that thing started, guys. Yep. Separation in sin resulted in Adam and Eve because the curse on Adam was different from the curse on Eve. I mean, sin brought separation all the way down the line. And then it quickly evolved to the siblings in Genesis 4 and 8, verses 23 and 24. And a few chapters later, we see that it splintered and hostile divisions grew even more. And after the flood, even to the point where God says, I'm disgusted, I wish I'd never created man. And he brings a flood. After the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was the same thing that he had told Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. 
But the Bible says, go back and look at it, I'm telling you, it's there, that they and their offspring decided to stay together and not go off and fulfill the earth. And ultimately, we come to the story of the Tower of Babel, remember? And the people said, come, let us build a city and a tower whose top will reach to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. This is key. Why? Because the Tower of Babel was meant to be a monument to and a sign of society based on man's glory versus God's glory. Okay? And, and so as a result of that, God says, we've got to, go, we've got to stop them or nothing will be impossible. So they confused their language so that they could not understand each other. Have you ever tried to imagine what that was like? I, I was like, when did God do that? Like while they're working on the temple, I mean working on this tower and how high it's gotten, and all of a sudden this guy says, hey, hand me a hammer. But he says it in a language the guy next to him don't know. He said, what did you say? And the guy goes, what did you say? What did you say? And there's immediate confusion. I don't know. Did they all wake up? And all of a sudden, nobody could understand. Or did it just happen in the middle of the day? I, I kind of think God probably just said, let's just have some fun and do it in the middle of the day. I don't know, you know. That's just me. I'm kind of weird like that, you know. But what happened? In that moment, their unity broke because they couldn't communicate. And they were scattered. Okay? Remember that now. Unity broke. And they were scattered. God's judgment reflects the real self-inflicted results of sin on the human community. And this is, you can write this down. Every culture that is not based on the true God will make an idol, an ultimate value out of something else. And that idol will ultimately divide. For example, if my highest love is my family, then I will privilege my family over everybody else. If it's my business, I'll put my business before anybody else. If it's a racial group or my selfish interests, I will privilege my race or myself over other races and other people. And the result of sin is that humanity becomes divided into racial and cultural segregated communities that cannot understand one another. And this is what we're hearing today. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand where I come from. You don't understand me. You don't understand. And you have people like on different sides of the fence looking at the same thing but cannot see and cannot understand. And they cannot communicate. Now, I will tell you that some groups were created for less powerful groups by more powerful groups. Even some dominant racial groups are spiritually speaking hopelessly blind because they're doing it under the influence of sin. And this results in the cries of people who have experiencing racism. Their cries fall on deaf ears. And what's happening is blinded by others. 
And you could go all the way back to the beginning of time, but go back to Israel. The Bible traces all human beings back to one couple. One couple. Now, of course, seminaries today teach that there was no such thing as Adam and Eve. It was just an idea, and that in the beginning, God created a thousand Adam and Eves of all different races. But that's not what this Bible says. So which is right? In the beginning, God created man out of the dust of the earth, and he created woman out of a rib from his side. He didn't make a thousand of them. He, he started one. So the Bible tells us all the way back at the beginning, there is only one race, and that race is the human race. Okay? And, and in fact, in the New Testament, in Acts 17, 26, it says, from one man, he, God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. How many men? One man. God created that they should inhabit the nations of the earth, the whole earth. We're all made from the same root racially. And God's agenda for us is that we live in unity with one another, both in the kingdom and in the culture at large. I know church groups that can get together of different ethnicities and backgrounds and they can get together for a meeting but you suggest that maybe something take place outside of that meeting and they're like no we have our own meetings we have our own thing we have our own deal i'll be honest years ago i pastored a church in eunice and at that time i was looking for an associate to come on staff and I knew the history of that church. At one time, that church had been predominantly, had a large black congregation. And a pastor had come in from another country and run off 90-something percent of the black people in that congregation. But I knew that the makeup of my parish had a large black community, and I wanted to attract bring them, bring us together. And so I tried for nine months to find a black minister filled with the Holy Ghost that I could be, could be vetted and trusted and everything else to come on as like an executive associate pastor and so that we could reach our community together. And I reached out to members of my own denomination, the Assemblies of God, of pastors, good men that I knew personally. They had churches of 15 people or 18 or 20, 25 people. And I offered them a position to come on. And we didn't look at each other like, I'm here and this one's here and this one's here. We just said, we're all this way. Yeah, somebody's got to answer, but... You know, we're, we're equal in that. And you know what I heard from every, every single one of those pastors? I, why would I want to give up my title as senior pastor and become a senior associate pastor? And I said, but you're only reaching 15 people and you've been there 18 years. You could come here and reach hundreds. Hundreds. 
And they said, but the, I don't want to be an associate. I want to be senior pastor. I'm just telling you my experience. And I said, but the picture is bigger. Come help us reach the people of our community. And none of them would come. Not one. And the pay was good compared to especially what they were making. I'm just telling us that the scripture wants us to be one in the kingdom, but also one in the culture. He doesn't want us separated. He doesn't want us divided by race or ethnicity or, or uh, uh, even certain be minor beliefs. When tr God's truth is given to sinful man, man tends to distort it. And racism, in its simplest term, is the discrimination of people based on skin or ethnic origin, okay? Now listen, and I put on here, expressed by one's actions, words, or attitudes. I'm, I'm going I'm to be really just plain right where it's hit, where it hits. Several years ago, many years ago, God dealt with me about something. And because I had a, I was almost killed in a car wreck. And it was really bad. And um, I mean, it was so close. It was a miracle. I was so angry. I don't have you, anybody ever got angry? Because of somebody else's foolish, not paying attention, whatever. And I remember I came home and I was trying to explain what happened. And, and I'm just being honest, what happened? And I said, this black man pulled out in front of me. And Holy Spirit hit me right there and said, you prejudiced. And I stopped in mid-sentence. I said, no, I'm not. He said, then why did you say black? Why was it not just a man? And I stopped mid-sentence right there and repented. I said, God, search my heart. Dig out any other prejudice in my life that I didn't know was there. It wasn't that I was prejudiced, but my language was not what it should have been. And that's why I say it can be expressed by actions. It can be expressed by words. It can be expressed by attitudes. How many of you know attitudes speak louder than words sometimes? And when somebody walks off, they go, what's wrong? I uh, don't like dealing with that kind. Now, I'm going to say this because it's going to lead to another message. Today's culture has extended the term racist or racism to include other areas of society, religion, gender, civil rights, and social justice. They've tried to make it inclusive, but it's not. And, and I'm going to address those other things at another time. But I, I'll give you an example. The, the Bill of Rights guarantees us 
freedom of religion. But almost every time you hear it mentioned in, in the press or media or anything, they say freedom of worship. It seems subtle, but they'll say this law is not preventing you to worship. But I'll give you an example. The COVID shutdown. They say you can worship God anywhere, you say. But freedom of religion says, the scripture says, forbid not the assembling of yourselves together. It talks about breaking bread together. It talks about all these things. So when they change it to freedom of worship, they've taken away my freedom of religion to practice my faith. And so we're seeing the same thing today when they take social injustice or they take gender or whatever and they apply this to racism. And we're going to talk about that at another time. So today we're just going to talk about this exactly what we have right up here, the discrimination of, 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 of people based on skin or ethnic origin. When I grew up, I'm Italian, okay? I'm, most of me is Italian. The rest of me is a little Scott, Irish, and German in it, but most of me is Italian. And so my grandparents were Italian. They came from Italy. I mean, their whole heritage was Italian, but, but I grew up in certain areas, especially in California, where there was a lot of Polish people. And so they were the brunt of jokes. The Polish people were. And, uh, uh, and, and then when I left there and moved to Alabama, it was a totally different thing. It wasn't Polish people. It was a racial thing. Blacks and whites. And, that, and now, with a large Hispanic population that has come into our nation and grown up here and everything, they be, they're becoming the largest group. I'm just saying... Our beliefs have to be based upon this, and our actions have to be based on this word. Racism is equally unrighteous no matter who practices it. Whether it's whites towards blacks, blacks towards Hispanics, Hispanics towards Asians, or any other combination, it's an affront to the character of God. And God's answer to racism is never reverse racism in reverse. It's like a cancer that is metastasized through our culture and it's, it's invading every part of our life. And I don't care how many workshops or symposiums or great speakers that you have, it has not been eradicated. And let me show you something. Years ago, when the um, Promise Keeper movement started, some of you don't even know what that is, it was a men's movement that swept the nation and I was in Atlanta, and it was, this one was just for pastors, just for ministers. And it was in Atlanta. They had a whole host of speakers for two days. And I will never forget one of my, fame, one of my favorite preachers, he's gone to be with the Lord years ago, was Reverend E.V. Hill. That man could preach the house down. I mean, as they, the preachers say, he could shuck the corn, man. I mean, he could preach it, and you'd be saying amen before you even realize it, man. And so anointed and powerful. But I heard him make this statement at that conference. And there's his picture right there. He said, racism is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. 
And man, everybody was clapping and shouting and everything else. And, and, but here's how this has changed over the years. Because the voices of this generation find fault with that statement. Racism is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. My brother James, was it a skin problem or a sin problem? Many of you know James's testimony. I started to call you brother, but maybe another time. But he was a white supremacist, hated blacks. And who was it that won you to the Lord? A black man. How many years? Seven years? Eight years? Seven years he stayed after him. Seven years he kept loving on him. He kept hate. I mean, his arms covered. He hated. He hated that man. And that man kept loving him. And it was that black man sowing the love of Jesus into his life that's changed him and made him a living miracle of God today. It's the truth. James, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that black man. What? A couple of weekends ago, I was in Minden, and I had a black gentleman pick me up in the golf cart. He was, and I only say black because that's, because to give you background of the story here, he said, have you registered? Man, I said, you just parked me. <laughs> I ain't had a chance to get out of my vehicle. He said, well, let me take you down in the golf cart so you don't have to walk eight, like eight blocks down in this heat. And I said, okay. I got in. We, don't ask me how we got talking just in a minute or so. I said something about, he said, well, you spending the night? I said, no, man, I got to get home tomorrow. Tomorrow's work day. He said, what you doing on Sunday? I said, my pastor, hit the brake. And he's like, I need to talk to you. And we started talking. And he, I said, I need to go register. So he took me there. And then, and then I mentioned something about, about Bible prophecy. Man, hit the brake like they threw me out of the golf cart. Turned off the engine of the golf cart. He said, we need to talk. And and he told me about how he, when he was a little boy in a little black Baptist church, a white man came with a big chart. He said, I think he's the assembly of God. I said, I probably know who it was, Big John Hall. He had a big old chart. He said, and he answered all our questions. And, and he said, I will never forget what that man said. And we had conversation about that. And one thing led to another to another. And that man began to cry. He's a few years older than me. He's about 70, 71. And he said, I thought I'd never live to the day to see when I have been called a racist because I reject somebody's assumption that they believe their gender is something other than what God created them to be. And he said, I know what racism is. He told me his whole story growing up. He said, but I have been called and labeled a racist now in my town because I won't accept this standard of living or I won't accept it because you say, I believe I'm a cat or a dog or whatever else you are. He said, God made two kinds of people, a man and a woman. You're either one or the other. Science don't lie. And I mean, he's he just going on and said, preach it, preach it, brother, preach it. He said, but can you imagine? I'm a racist because I don't accept what they say. And I mentioned this quote. He said, brother, that's right, and don't stop preaching it. If we, he said, we can't fix it 
unless we deal with the sin. Well, we had a 25-minute hallelujah time right in the middle of Main Street of downtown Minden. I'm just telling you. But today's voice has changed this. Let me show you a headline from the Huffington Post. The writer says, if your pastor says racism is a skin problem, isn't a skin problem, it's a sin problem, you need to find another church. And if you can't read underneath, it says someone needs to repent, and by someone, I mean America. See, the problem is, when you take God out of any equation, any situation, whatever, then the truth is what you manufacture or your experience based upon what happened to you and you take God's word and you take God completely out of it and, and now it's no longer a sin problem. And, and if you do that, then let me tell you, you're going to have 300 years of slavery, you have court decisions, marches, federal government involvement, and you still can't fix the problem. Because breaking down the walls of ethnic and religious prejudice and racism was a part of what God was trying to do on the day of Pentecost. Did you know that? On the day of Pentecost, God was trying to reunite the nations. What do you mean? What are you talking about? The historical account of the Bible, right before the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel we have a list of of nations, the table of nations, various races and na nationalities at, at that time. It's called the table of nations. And the only other time in the whole Bible that you find the table of nations is in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Because it was the day of Passover and people had gathered from countries all over the place. Linguistically, they spoke different languages. They spoke the language of their home. But now they're gathered back in Jerusalem. And God pours out his spirit. And the disciples stand up, the apostles stand up. And they're speaking in other tongues. And what is the mystery? What is the thing that is happening? The people go, they're drunk. They're babbling. Others are going, they're not drunk. Peter says, they're not drunk. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it was, the, it was God's intentional reversal of the judgment of Babel. Because look, on the, in, in the Tower of Babel, the people were of one speech and could understand each other because they were trying to reach up to the heavens and, and their own strength and make a name for themselves. But on Pentecost, people of many languages were all able to understand God's message. Why? Because God comes down again, but this time not to confuse the languages and confuse the people, but to bring blessing and not judgment. And the people could all understand what was being said. God reversed it. And in Jesus Christ, Galatians tells us that... I'm sorry, I got the wrong one up there. Galatians 3.28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church is supposed to show the world how, how in Christ the lost humanity of, can, uh, of our culture can be recovered. We're to be the city of God. We're to be the light on a hill. We're to show that 
The people can come together despite diversities, or not despite, just because of diversity. And we're better, we're blessed because of that diversity. Because we're united with one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one Father, and God of all. Revelation 7 and 9. We're getting to the end of the book. And John writes, Then I looked, and there was a great multitude, which no one could count, from all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. I want you to notice something. Our bodies are not unimportant discardable containers for the soul, they will be resurrected. The resurrected body of Jesus was both different and yet recognizable. It was different in that it was glorified, but it was recognizable because he said, see the nail prints in my hands and the, the hole in my side. And so Revelation 7 and 9 tells us that our resurrection bodies will keep their ethnicity. I'm not going to be resurrected looking like I came from Asia or South America or the Middle East. The Bible says we will be known as we are known. Our final redemption does not erase racial are cultural differences. In fact, different cultures have their own particular glories and splendors similar to the different gifts within the body of Christ. Skin color or cultural differences are not the issue. I loved it the very first time I went to Israel and came upon a wedding that was outdoors. And man, when the music started and the dancing started, I was like, this is, this is a trip, man. I mean, this was like Bible days, man. It was like, you know, I mean, I just wanted to jump in the middle, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know the moves. And, I, <laughs> and I, I'm, not, I'm not the best dancer in the world, you know. I mean, but it was like I stood back and looked with the excitement and joy and everything that was going on because it was the cultural expression of the people of what had just taken place. And I thought, heaven's going to be like that. Heaven's not going to be like row after row after row after row of everybody, you know, responding the same way. I, I mean, look, I've taken enough teams on mission trips and stuff and you can go from one country to the next and they're all different. In some countries they're very quiet and proper and whatever in their worship and in other places, man, they're rocking the house down. Do you think that when they get to heaven God's going to go, shh! Behave! No, he's not going to do that. Why? Because all of it coming together is the splendor of the diversity of God's creation. There's two areas of concern, and then I'm going to close. Concerning race. And the first one is that putting so much emphasis on the unity of the human race that we can come to insist that race is unimportant. 
In fact, old liberalism taught, namely, that we should be colorblind. Some of you are old enough to remember we were told that. We should not look at one another and see color. We should not look at one another and see color with racist eyes. But I should be able to see color and respect and, and, and glorify God that you're bringing to the table something that's different. When I would take mission teams overseas, the young people, I took teenagers, most of them were teenagers, and they'd be going down the road and they'd go, Oh, McDonald's! No, we're not eating there. Pizza Hut! We're not eating there either. Taco Bell! KFC! We're not eating there. Where are we eating? Local places. I don't know what that tastes like. You will know by the end of these eight days. I don't like that. Believe me, when you get hungry enough, you will eat. That's the way I was raised. Anybody ever raised that way? Eat what's put in front of you. I was always taught, think of the starving children overseas. And I remember one time I told my dad, ship it to them. And when I woke up off the floor, I'm serious. And my two brothers woke up off the floor because we were in a bench. And when my dad backhanded me, I went back and they went back too. You know, I said, I, I said, you've come on a mission trip. I want you to experience what it's like to live here. And what better way than through the food? Somebody said, is there anything you've not eaten? Nope. I at least tasted it once. Did you like everything? Nope. But I tasted it once. We don't need to be colorblind that we don't recognize the richness that they bring in, to our lives. And the second danger is that we put too much emphasis on irreconcilable diversity so that no racial group has the right to speak into the experience of the other, which obscures the common of humanity. When we say, you've not experienced what I've been through, therefore, we're basically saying, therefore, we cannot have anything in common. As long as race is social and not spiritual, it will never be dealt with in any ultimate sense. Almost anyone who speaks strongly about racism in the church today is labeled as being overly woke. I was told by a couple of pastors, I wouldn't touch that subject. Why not? This is the world in which we're living. We need to know how to respond biblically. Well, you'll be considered woke. Well, maybe they need to be woke. 
to the fact that their lifestyle or their attitudes or their speech is racist. And then on the other hand, many of the voices who are speaking about racial injustice, which we'll talk about another time, they're, ta they're not taking their clues from the Bible, they're taking their clues from the, their own experiences. And if you're the starting point of an issue, then you're ignoring everything else that's behind you. You're ignoring facts that are not there. The Bible in its context, not our rose-colored glasses, so to speak, must be the foundation for unity. It has to be. That brings us to the end of racism and the, and the, and, and the church united in the church, uh, the church united together. First John 2 and 9 says, the one who says he is the light, is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. You cannot say you love God and you hate your brother. You hate someone because of the way they look or their background or, or, or their ethnicity or anything. You cannot say you love God and hate them. And the thing is that once we admit that racism is a problem in our lives, we are obligated as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ to deal with it right away. And I'm going to close with this story told my wife last night if I forget what I wanted to say I gave her a safe word to help me remember I remember baby years ago I was pastoring in a country church outside West Monroe I don't remember how far back it was a good way some of you will remember I remember one Sunday I came in to the copy machine in the church to make a copy for something and I lifted it up and there was a flyer on my church copy machine for a KKK rally that was held the night before a mile and a half down the road from my church. I was shocked that that was somebody had come into our church facility, a church member, made copies of that and passed it out. I knew. Because I asked why before I went there, I said, what is your belief what is your position as to people of color coming into this church because I knew the year before they had taken down a, a sign on the edge of the community that said no allowed and they said oh we accept everybody well I found out that wasn't true In the fall of each year, we would have a missions convention, for the missions weekend. And um, we'd, we'd talk about missions for a couple weeks. And then on Saturday night, I would have a banquet. And one year, I would have a foreign missionary come in and talk about foreign missions. The next year, I'd have a home missionary come in and talk about home missions. And then on Sunday, that speaker would preach and minister. And we would take up pledges that we, of money that we would contribute through the year towards missions as a whole, okay? Year before, had gone off, man, it was, it was bang, it was great. We had like 100 something people show up for the banquet on Saturday night. Church was packed on Sunday. 
we, we went over our missions budget that year. It was wonderful. So the next year was home missions. And we had a home missionary in North Baton Rouge at the time. His name was George No. He later became one of the founders of the School of Urban Missions that started in New Orleans. He's now in Oakland area. George was as white as white can be. And he started an inner city black church in North Baton Rouge. And I had come to know him well. And I said, George, I want you to come speak at my home, my missions convention. Well, little did I know that politics were going to interfere. Because that day, that Saturday happened. Now, this was planned months before. But the governor's race was between Edwin Edwards and David Duke. The runoff was that night, that day. And Washington Parish had gone three to one for David Duke. Now I looked at it just personally as picking between dirty water and even dirtier water. You know, that's politics. Problem was, two-thirds of my church stayed home to watch the results and didn't come to the mission thing. But we had our banquet. George had set up all his boards. You, you, you like this, Josh? He had the whiteboards, you know, with pictures and all that, you know. And all the things they were doing in North Baton Rouge to reach the black community, Hispanic community at that time. And the people were looking at those pictures and stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, he said, I need to use the restroom. And, and he went to use it. And there was four, five, six of my men that had disappeared. I don't know where they were. And so after a while, I'm like, this is the time for him to speak. I need him to speak. And where is he? And I can't find him. And I go out and I see these six guys huddled by the front door. And they're talking. And when I walk by, they all just got quiet like that. You know, I'm like, have you seen Brother, Brother No? And they said, no, I haven't seen him. And so I walk into the lobby and I'm, I look in the sanctuary. It's pitch black in there, but I can hear crying about 95 feet away up near the altar in the dark. And we had the lights on dimmer switches. So I, dim, I opened one up and I saw George laying face down, crying his eyes out. And I figured immediately I knew what had happened. Those men had been talking and he had heard it. And I walked up to him and I said, George, be bigger than them. I need you. He said, I can't. I said, you have to. He said, if you heard what I just heard coming out of those men, I said, I understand. But it doesn't change who you are, who I am and why we're here. He came in, wiped his eyes, came in, gave a rousing talk about home missions, missions as a whole. And we, next Sunday morning, he preached. Now, you have to know, if anybody, does anybody know George? Okay. George was a skinny white boy who preached like a black guy. And I don't mean that in an offensive way, please. 
I mean, he could, he was, he was juking and jiving and preaching and, I mean, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture was coming out. And I mean, it was so anointed and so powerful. I mean, my people normally would sit there and, and halfway through the service, they were reaching for hankies or Kleenexes. And I saw them taking Kleenexes out of the boxes that were sitting on the floor. And they're all doing this. Go on, baby. Go on. I'd never seen that happen. Not once, James. Never. I'm thinking, what, what is going on here? Because he's preaching against sin. He, and his main thing was homosexuality. He's preaching against because that was big way back then. You know, that was just, they were just starting to come out of the closet. And, uh, and man, by the end, everybody in the church is standing doing this. I mean, it's like bullfighter going, come on, come on, come on, try and hit it. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I just hope they got this next Sunday when I got to preach. Because I'm getting ready to take up an offering for him and for his ministry there in North Baton Rouge. And he, music, he asked for the organist to come. The organist came and started playing some music. And he said, I have two questions. Two, I have a question for you and a statement. And then we're giving an altar call. He said, brother, I'm getting ready to give you the mic. That's okay. And here's what he said. How many of you believe that a person who willingly chooses to practice homosexuality and dies will go to hell? And 200 and something people stood and said, Amen! And he said, So will a practicing racist bow your heads. Son, I heard the the wind, the air just gets sucked right out of the room. My eyeballs got about this big. And he starts praying. And all the people who had been standing, literally, I mean, this is what happened. Because I, I was sitting off in the corner watching from, from the front. And they all were, and he starts praying. And he's wanting to give me the microphone. And I'm going, I don't want the microphone. No, 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 no. You, know, you keep that microphone, brother. And when he got done praying, he said, here's the mic. I said, I don't want He said, and Pastor Bob's coming now. Well, now I had to get up off the front pew and go up there. And I said, uh, the ushers are coming. We're going to receive an offering. And I'm thinking, dude, you ain't getting nothing. Can I tell you, we got the biggest cash offering that church had ever seen in a 70-year history. I said, that was guilt money. <laughs> so I told them. And when we took up pledges, it was more than double my, my whole budget for all our missionaries. I said, that's guilt too. I will never forget that day when he said, so is a practicing racist. So will this bow your heads God just pierced the heart of that whole congregation four weeks later I had a black preacher preaching in my church 
not because I wanted to. My men's director came to me and said, I got a man that I work with that's a preacher. I'd like him to come preach in our church. I said, go ahead, my brother. And God began breaking down those walls. I said, God began breaking down those walls. And that 70-something-year-old church that was dying within nine months had come to life. let God break down the walls I want you to just examine your hearts right now for a moment is there anything in your life that if Holy Spirit put his finger on it he said your attitude has a tone of racism your speech has a tone of racism in it. Your actions don't have a tone, they just flat out do. Or is your heart hardened towards the cause of those who have been hurt by the practice of racism? I tell you it is so easy to become cynical we as the body of Christ cannot afford to be hard hearted towards injustice of others in any way shape or form Do we think of their ethnicity? Do we think of some derogatory statement when we repeat a story? Do we emphasize not that they're a man or a woman, but instead we look at their race, their ethnicity, their background? And that's where the emphasis is that God, we ask for forgiveness and we say, Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out. Change our hearts, change our mouths, change our words, change our hearing, change our seeing. Let our hearts beat and feel as your heart does for all of humanity. God, we can give money to missions for people overseas that we've never seen before. But God, there's people all around us that we just write off because they're not our kind or not of our 
understanding or our liking. God, break those walls down. Break those walls down. Enlarge the body of Christ. Enlarge the church that we may accept one another from every walk of life that with the picture we see in revelation every tribe and tongue and nation surrounding the throne and worshiping god god if we can't do it here how can we do it there we need god for you to move to break down the walls with our brothers and sisters all across the city all across this area lord if the church can't be one because of racist mindset then god how can we reach people for christ holy spirit you show us where the changes are that need to be made ask it in Jesus name amen now listen if you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as Savior you can't do it it'll never work you can't try harder be better at it or anything else no you need Jesus and if you want to know how to receive Christ into your life. I'm available after service. Come talk to me. Come talk with me and I'll, I'll pray with you because he loves you so very much. Amen. I want you to know I love you. This is not the kind of stuff that's fun to preach or teach on but it's so necessary in our world today. You have the potential to change your world by your attitude, having a biblical foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I ask you to stay for just a few moments.
God used you guys to minister to us so much more than we could ever have ministered to you guys. And what a wonderful journey. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. So I've been given an opportunity to serve as a, a chaplain with a hospice company. And it's just, it's just such a great opportunity because I love people. Many of you know that I love people. I get to sit with people that are approaching the end of the journey, the most valuable time in their life when they need Jesus. And I get to sit and drink coffee and spend time with them and talk to them about the gospel and talk to them about the faith journey. But you know, upon this faith journey, it's been such an awesome opportunity to see life group leaders rise up, to see people that love to be community and commit to community and commit to building the kingdom and watching people flourish and develop as the hospitality team stepped out and, and created a, a, an atmosphere of community where people can step into a place and be changed and transformed by the gospel. But you know, here at Life Church, destinies are here. People have an opportunity and people have destiny. You guys have destiny upon your life because you know what? If there's a group of people that God loves, it's this one. There's a group of people that God loves. It's this one. And you know, look, man, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We love you guys. We appreciate you. It's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. But I know that God has so much in store for Life Church. God has so much in store for this group of people. Because if there's a group of people that God loves, it's this group of people. I would like to invite those of you that would like to come and just stand around them, lay hands on them, and we're just going to pray God's blessing. And, and you know, in the New Testament, when God separated Barnabas and, and, and Paul, they, they laid hands on them and sent them. They didn't kick them out, they sent them out. <laughs> and so this couple has come and we laid hands on them when they came and we're laying hands on them now as we send them out for what God has in store for them. So let's just pray for them right now. Father, we thank you for the blessing and the opportunities that you have brought our way because of this couple and their family and the, the, the gifts that they have contributed to us as a body. And Father, we are blessed and better off for it. And we thank you, Father, it was for a time and season in both of our lives, their lives and our life as a church. And so, Father, that which you've started, you're not going to quit. You're going to continue to build upon. And we thank you for the door and opportunity that is open for Pastor Josh and Father, the powerful anointing that's on his life. And I believe that many will be swept into the kingdom of God because of his ability to minister one-on-one -on -one to them as they're facing God. They're facing that moment when they stand before God. So let that be a powerful influence, not only upon those patients' lives, but God, even among the the people that the company that he works for, let the influence be just extended that way. God, just continue to bless their family, bless their home, their children, Lord. Just give them favor in every which way that they turn. And that, God, that the peace of God would rule their hearts. And that, Father,
Father, that the things that have been started and the things that have been established through their time here will flourish and continue and continue to expand and grow even more, Father, because you don't do things without purpose. You don't do things for just a short time and then shut them down. You establish and you grow them for that you receive all the glory and honor. So we thank you for this. And we send them out with all our blessing and 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 and, and pray, Lord, that even above and beyond they all they could ask or think.